It's Monday, August 23rd, and you've got Oz in your ears. Five, four, three, two, beep. Erpy EduApps for iPads presents Exorcism in Your Daily Life, the oil spill. Let's pry on Billy and his dad during their regular family therapy session. Gee, what is it, son? You look, well, you look worried. Well, gee, Dad, my American Problems teacher wants me to write a high school musical about the oil spill, but I'd rather go play Atlantic Triangular Trade Texas Edition with Bruce. Uh, gaming again, son? Yeah, and, and there's this new version of National Guard where they're called up for symbolic duty on the border in Arizona. We, we might avenge some international incidents. Yes, or cause some. Well, Bobby, uh, what was it about the oil spill that you wanted to know? Well, gee, I mean, nobody knows what it's all about, not just me. Well, son, you can watch it on your iPhone. There's a free app from Irpy. It makes great wallpaper. Dad... Don't you think it's about time we should go drop in on Mr. Brown down at the First National Billville Casino and loan? I don't think he can help you this time. Doodly 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 doo. Good to see you, Bobby. Glad you could afford to come back. Still confused by derivative hedging products? I, I hope not. You know, it turns out that the funny thing about those pesky derivatives is that they're easy to hate, but hard to understand. Golly, it sounds just like my dad. No, it's just too darn bad that some of our biggest investors use their grandchildren's credit cards to buy their derivatives, but you know, accidents happen. Well, that's right, uh, Mr. Brown, and, and well, that's why I have to write a high school musical about the oil spiller or I won't graduate. Well, Bubby, there's probably an old folk song about oil spills from the minstrel days. Wanna go and check with kindly old Mr. Archer, the custodian, down at the Billville Middle School Museum. Well, uh, why not? Doodly 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 do. Oil spill, oil spill. Oh, bring back my spill cam to me for free. Uh, yes, honey, yes, it goes way back to the Atlantic Triangular free trade days. Uh, what does, Mr. Archer? Bussing. Say, aren't you here with a question about the new Texas book depository curriculum? No, sir. This is about... I hope you don't want me explaining how government regulations and taxes impact consumer costs. You should have learned that in third grade. No, sir. It's about the TV show at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, no. That's a pilot for people who spill. That's a new reality show on Fox. Look, if you want some real answers about almost anything, you got to go... Right down there to the Gulf and, and talk with Admiral Birdie of the Hellfire and Brimstone Allocation, Taxation, and Relaxation Management Office. Well, if you say so, do I need gumboots? Hi there, Bubba. Uh, here for the real facts about whatever? Uh, right, sir. Uh, ma'am? I'm both. Well... If you've got past third grade, you must already be able to evaluate efforts by global organizations to undermine our sovereignty. Uh, Is is that over the beasts uh, in the field and the birds of the air? And the fish in the gulf, Bucky. Golly, what about the pelicans? Even the Great Society had unintended consequences, so I hear. Uh Now, the spill cam works great. A miracle of science 5,000 feet under the sea. A miracle of science? Like the blowout protector? Let's put it this way, Chucko. Accidents happen. Oh, well, is there a a plot to all this, Admiral? You mean terrorists? No, 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 like a story. Like, see, everything in art has three acts, right? Like, I gotta write a musical for American problems, like, like, like hair. Oh, we're gonna use lots of hair, Mickey. As you teenagers know, it just sops up the oil. No, sir, ma'am. A a musical like Urinetown or or American Idiot. Oh, well, our 
American idiot just got fired as chief head of the Unsafe Minerals Management and Party Bureau. Whoa, gee, that sounds like an Ethel Merman part. But we're going to spit up, <laughs> split up the UMMPB into the SDROO, uh-huh. Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll Oil Office. Uh-huh. The Sex and Drugs half is going to really have to clean up its act. Yeah, and the beach. You know, Eddie... Yesterday, the rock and roll section of the SDROO ran out of permits for strippers and mutters, and they're just the sort of recreation these hard hats need when they get in off the Gulf. Or get off in the Gulf. Uh, But look, Admiral, you still have to explain to me, would the oil spill make a good high school musical? Are you still there, Teddy? (laughs) It's late, and I've got to go off and check up for dead seagulls. Oh, that sounds like a Russian tragedy, ma'am, sir. Well, well, it's a great big ocean out there. Words like fragile come to mind. Uh huh. I, I think I know what Doc Inferno would have to say about this. I've got him right here on Reverb. We're doomed. More problem solving exorcist apps from Erpy all the time. Oh. Oh, yes, the beginning of another week here on RadioFreeOz.com, the expanded website. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, our co-host, David Osman. What do you think about the website now, Dave? What can I say? And and things for sale and bumper stickers and all kinds of excitement and surprises there? Yeah, yeah you bet. I mean, it was pretty before, but it was... I don't know. It was just pretty. Yeah. Now no. it's a real value, as they say it uh, <laughs> down at the down at the local mart. Yeah, the great Walmart of China. Mm. Yeah, you can go up, go take a look at some of the designs we're coming up with. Uh, we've made them available on the Oz Boutique, which then takes you to Cafe Press, where you can buy one at a time. It's expensive, but they're printing on demand, and we're not going to keep any inventory here. <laughs> I've closed my cellar for yes. the last time. Nobody coming. It's Mister Bergman, Puerto Rico. Is this the right zip code or why haven't you sent me my cop nope nope never again this is all going to be somebody else is going to fulfill our life but we're going to give you the the stuff you want yeah you're going to get the stuff you want so uh here we are dave i hear i hear that people are having trouble at house well listen uh, housing in uh, new york has never been a a really happy thing but uh they they were times ran a little piece uh, of uh uh, people uh, being surprised by what they saw a little surprised yes it was a good house well maintained but the bed with the person in it was off-putting yeah Uh there's a start the main distraction was dirt Although there was the tiny child who proudly showed us the refrigerator full of daddy's beer just outside an upstairs bedroom. Hey, buddy, look at daddy's beer. Hey, 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 kid, want a beer? Years ago, we looked at a house in a Boston suburb that had a suit of armor in the front hall and smelled faintly of urine. There was one room that we could not go into because it was grandma's room. Oh, and she was still there. What was left of her? The Adams family, right? The family dog, long departed, stuffed and standing next to the fireplace. Oh, that's creepy. Sent him right out of the house there. I wouldn't want to be in that one here. And the last, the last thing I think is 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 good for us because I think we we also suffer from the same problem. Strangest things, books in the oven. Books in the oven. I've done that. Finally, it's yeah. the only place to put them. Oh, where, yeah, where's my copy of the thesaurus? What's well, thesaurus? Oven. Right, I got you. Well, well, and still the kids are going to New York 
just from Whidbey Island, right directly to New York. Have you got a place to live? Oh, yeah, I'm ruined with so-and-so. Well, uh, can you afford it? No problem. You know, I'll get a job. It's just wonderful. It's still calling them there. Rats on the floor. And they're sleeping standing up, but it's the Big Apple. (laughs) One of my favorite web editors is John Marshall. He runs Talking Points Memo. Again, one of my favorite. I guess you'd have to call it a political blog. For some reason, I hate the word blog. Weblog, I know. But blog, it still takes me back to Steve McQueen in a small town with this big gelatinous thing that is taking over the culture. Well, I guess that's what it is anyway, isn't it? All right, I'm going to read this in its entirety because it's good and worth it. From John Marshall. Getting some facts on the table. Over the weekend, in the numerous articles written in response to President Obama's comments on the mosque furor, you'll notice that a frequent refrain is to the purported opposition to the Cordoba House Project, a.k.a. the Ground Zero Mosque, from families of 9-11 victims. And as evidence of this opposition, you'll frequently see quotes from a woman named Deborah Burlingame, whose brother was the pilot aboard the plane flown into the Pentagon on 9-11. Always in such cases, it's important to recognize that unlike most of us who experience 9-11 as a national or communal tragedy, she suffered it as a personal one. That's real. I respect that grief. And I believe in giving people stricken by overwhelming loss a wide berth in assessing the lessons they draw from the tragedies that affected them. That is not the same, however, as turning a blind eye when lazy journalists present her as representing or even being representative of the families of victims of the 9-11 attacks. The most cursory Googling shows that she's been advocating a string of right-wing positions going back over the last decade. Indeed, she's the co-founder with Liz Cheney of Keeping America Safe. It should be called Keeping America Safe from Dick Cheney. Also very worth noting is that none of the 9-11 families groups who actually seem to be membership organizations made up of families of the victims seem to have taken positions on the mosque issue at all. I looked at the websites of several such organizations and they each contain about pages with some information about the organization, its membership, and in most cases, boards of directors. The website of Burlingame's group, 9-11 Families for a Safe and Strong America, contains no such information. But its statement of purpose does give some sense of viewpoint, quote, The war against Sharia is a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Yeah, they really believe that the governor of New York and various nefarious people inside the government are trying to impose Sharia, Islamic Quran-based law, on the United States. These people are smoking very bad weed. Since almost 3,000 people died as a result of the attacks, many thousands count as family members of the dead. And given that the public at large is at best divided over the mosque question and likely on balance against it, and they are, by the way, the CNN poll shows about almost 70% of Americans oppose it, it stands to figure that there's a similar spectrum of opinion among these families. Yet, says Marshall, I have not seen any clear evidence that as a group these people are against the Cordoba House Project. So the next time you read on some blog or some newspaper or hear some talking head on Fox or whatever talk about the fact that the the Ground Zero Mosque is an insult to the families of the victims of 9-11 and they oppose it universally, it's just plain bullshit. You know, there's always been scuttlebutt about the fact that networks are losing their audiences. Well, we've seen the fact, you know, there used to be there was only the 
ABC, 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 CBS, and NBC. NBC. I mean, that yes. was the world, right? Yeah. Then cable, et cetera, et cetera. And people said, well, that's kind of like spreading the whole thing and it's fractionating the marketplace and everything. But here's something that, that, that really surprised me. A new study of broadcast audiences finds that the median age for viewers at ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox is the median age, the middle age. What is it? What's the, what's the median age of the people that watch network? Mm, 52. 51. My, wow. you are. Doesn't surprise you at all, does it, Dave? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, the Associated Press reports that these audiences have aged at twice the rate of the general population during the past two decades. Mm. So the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the younger people are just fleeing the networks. Okay, even the audience of American Idol is graying, right? The median age for the once dominant talent show has jumped from 36 years old to 44 years old over the past seven seasons. That's incredible. 36 to 44, add seven years, and you're pretty close to that. And you're looking at the same people people. watching the same shows. Again, which is, of course, exactly what's happening. You know, I read read the... Those numbers, you know, pretty much weekly, I look at what's you know what 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 people are watching, and nobody's watching anything really. I mean, if you get six million people to watch a television show, you're and it used to be twenty, thirty, half the country was you know tuned in into Mickey Mouse and and Ed Sullivan, and nobody watches anything, and yet they're still reviewed, they still get all the attention as if they were. You know. Well, you know, they, they do watch Super Bowl, special events do get special stuff, you know, but now, for example, the stoning, the Taliban stoning of that couple, the adulterous couple, yeah. very, very big numbers on that. Big numbers. Oh, there. worldwide, absolutely. Big you know, numbers. Yeah, everybody must get well, stoned. Well, sure, everybody must get stoned. Bergman, I was going to say about that, you know, that's a, there's a crucial issue there. You know the guy who's, uh, who's truck uh, uh, overturned in some stupid race. Let's see. That, yeah, the guy the, flipped out. Right. The guy, he was a charter member of the Funny Names Club in the first place. His name was, was Brett M. Sloppy. Brett M. Sloppy? Brett, Brett M. Sloppy. You sure that isn't like a covert name? Okay. They, they, were, they, were, they were running the Rock Pile 200. Killer yeah. of eight at the Rock Pile 200. Okay. Uh, well, Ed, the, the police had to take him away because... People tried to stone him. Because and of what I, he did. Because of what he did. Kill eight people, roll his cart, all that. But but wait a minute. The people tried to stone him. And in the same newspaper, here's this, the very popular <laughs> YouTube video of uh, the couple being stoned. And I thought, well, how, how how much farther is, you know, mob punishment from out there in wet, dry, soggy lake land where, <laughs> where Mr. Sloppy is driving his car than, you know, than North Afghanistan? You want to know the distance? Yeah. I'll go get my moral ruler. Okay. In the past year and a half, President Obama has quietly used his powers to expand federal rights and benefits for gays and lesbians, targeting one government restriction after another in an attempt to change public policy while avoiding a confrontation with Republicans and opponents of gay rights. The results is that scores of federal rules blocking gay rights have been swept aside or reinterpreted by Obama officials eager to advance the agenda of a constituency that strongly backed the president's 2008 campaign. Not only are they are they doing payback to the, the gay community that supported Obama, they really believe in what they're doing. It isn't just a pro-quid pro. These people are pro. 
Among the changes, gay partners of federal workers will now receive long-term health insurance, access to daycare, and other benefits. Makes sense to me. Federal housing authority loans can no longer consider the sexual orientation of applicants. I like that. Well, I don't know if I want to, like, let you borrow on a home because you're both of the same sex. I don't think you should be living in one of our homes. The Census Bureau plans to report the number of people who report being in a same-sex relationship. And hospitals must allow gays to visit their ill partners. Can you imagine what it was like to be partnered and to be told that you couldn't visit someone who was sick or dying because you were a same-sex relationship? And federal child care subsidies can be used by the children of same-sex domestic partners. Ah, cut a few more victims off the list. The Labor Department is expected to announce that federal officials have rethought the Family and Medical Leave Act, concluding that under the law, a gay federal employee may take leave to care for a child with a gay partner. Individually, none of the changes are especially dramatic, but taken together, they significantly alter the way gays and lesbians are viewed under federal law. Winnie uh, Stolkenberg, a senior vice president at the Center for American Progress, praised Obama for finding creative ways to unravel policies that she said have long been unfair to gays. The administration, she says, has really opened up the toolbox that it alone has access to, to address the problems faced by gays and lesbians. And in April, Attorney General Holder reinterpreted the Violence Against Women Act to cover partners in a same-sex relationship. In remarks to gay employees at the Justice Department, Holder promised more of the same. I mean, Obama is a very, very clever politician. He knows where to court opposition and where to skirt it. It's true. He's really undoing some of the bad business done with the same toolbox by Bush and his predecessors. And Bill Clinton didn't do enough. Of course, it was earlier on. You have to put this within historical perspective. Gay, lesbian issues are very, very much on the table. Hey, 50% of the American public believes that gays have a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. Dave, I've already talked to you about Brian Fisher, the conservative uh, uh, commentator for the Christian group American Family Association. Uh, he's the He does their issues analysis, and he's really getting continuously more far out. So it's I think, a far out job to begin with, yeah. issues analysis. Yeah. I, I mean, saw, that's no, there's no end to what you can do with Particularly like when that. you're in one of those conservative organizations with one of those titles, American Family Association, mm -hmm. watch out, Sig Heil. But, uh, you know, he, he tries to be a mainstream guy, or maybe he pretends to be a mainstream guy, but he's got a colorful history championing social conservative causes that are just, just plain bizarre. Okay, he was the one that said last week, "No more mosques." Period. No more mosques in the period uh -huh. in the United States. Uh -huh. Every single mosque is a potential terror training center or recruitment center for jihad. He's also convinced that Governor David Patterson, yeah, all those New churches York, are, are there for you know they're dangerous places too. I mean, come on, they foment uh, uh, abortion, doctor, baby killers. Well, there you go. And yeah. I mean, what's all this? Oh, well, what on. else is go new, on, right? Well, the all churches, right? Did, oh. did the Re American Revolution get kind of revolted well, up every, in churches? Everything except the Quakers, they shut up. They're quiet. Nothing happens there. Yeah, well, but every most place of them are else, American man, Indians. They're now. ready to kick right. butt. Go ahead. Okay, so, all right. Now, he said, okay, every single mosque is a jihad center. And he said, Governor David Patterson, who's governor of New York, is trying to impose Sharia law on New York because he offered to help the Cordoba House developers get state land for the Muslim Community Center if they agreed to relocate from the controversy 
controversial plan site a few blocks from Ground Zero. So he basically is just wants to put Muslim law all over the state of New York. Oh, well, of course. That's why they're cutting off hands left and right. Taxi drivers making wrong right turns. Whack roomy. Right. There it's not go. enough to cut off their, their food stamps. Cut off their hands. That's right. You're right. But last week didn't exactly uh, mark Fisher's first day on the anti-Muslim job. Last year, uh-huh. he called a ban on Muslims in the military after Nidal Malak Hassan. Yeah. Right? Allegedly went on a shooting rampage at Fort Hood back in November. We have to say allegedly because we've got all these pictures of him doing it, you know, and there's, but he hasn't been convicted. And that's, we're, we're that way. Okay. Fisher said his views were not Islamophobia, but Islamorealism. Islamorealism. And that sounds to me I like, like it very much. Very much. We have a wonderful studio in Paris for Islamorealism. Uh, it's all uh, black and white, uh, explosions, you know. And, and uh, no pictures of any religious figures? No, no, no. Oh, no, I saw it. I no, love it. Absolutely no pictures of anything but but uh, you know, uh, flowers, flowers, calligraphy, calligraphy. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. He then followed up with a call to restrict Muslim immigration to U.S. and yeah. repatriate Muslim immigrants to Muslim countries which share their values. So therefore, you're going to have to do like a big, big, you know, shakedown mm. on someone's values, then go yeah. and talk to the heads of other countries well, and find out what their values. That's why are. they're giving them all that resume writing training there in Guantanamo. That's right, because otherwise they won't be able to. Answer those questions. Okay, so should any nation welcome to its shores immigrants who have a solemn, sacred obligation to kill as many of their hosts as possible, Fisher asked? That's a form of suicidal insanity. Yes, it is, I suppose, if people coming in through, you know, through the port. What are we doing here, vacation? No, I have a sacred obligation to kill as many of you as possible. Uh Uh, Next? How long will you be staying? Next. <laughs> and, 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 and 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 Fisher vacation or business? No jihad. Jihad. Oh, oh well, you take that line over there. Yeah, There's right a lot over of there. That one that goes to nowhere. Yeah. Oh, so he's not only yeah. big into Islamo realism. I think yeah. he's also into homophobic realism. Oh. Yeah. He's written that the U.S. should impose legal sanctions for homosexual behavior. Argued that a practicing homosexual should not serve in public office. <clears throat> and he's the one that claimed. I shouldn't have sex in public office. That's no, what he meant. No, and most of those public offices do not have furniture that makes sex at all comfortable. That's right. So if you do, you'll have a lot of grumpy gays, all right? He also claimed that Hitler used gay soldiers because they basically had no limits, and the savagery and brutality they were willing to inflict on whomever Hitler sent them after knew no bounds. Wow, what movie was he watching? I think he's got a stiffy over it. Oh, I really, boy. really oh. All right, he also expressed outrage that... He, Get ready. And, and Mac's going to like this, too, because yeah. he spent a lot of time with these people. This one, you know, I read these articles sometimes, and all of a sudden it just catches me out of nowhere, right? I got Oz in my ears. I'm spit-taking. <laughs> Fisher also expressed outrage that Indian Americans win a lot of spelling bees, claiming that the U.S. needs to stop this outrageous display of ethnic favoritism. I, 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 I Indian um, children win. In, Indian Americans. That's because they can spell those extremely long and difficult names and write them in another whole language, you know? Well, maybe it's Could because be. they study <gasps> that. All right. But yeah, go ahead. Here, here okay. he goes. He has his happy side. Does he? He expressed <laughs> some glee over a reported trend that more educated women are having fewer children, which he interpreted this way. Mm-hmm. What this means, quite simply, is that liberals are breeding themselves out of existence. Ah, 
love, but it gets worse. Uh-huh. Here's the final. Okay. okay. This, this, here, here, here's where you mix the big fish and the big Bible together, Dave. So <laughs> okay. let's get ready, all right? I'm People waiting. out there, uh, don't be drinking anything or eating anything soft, you know, or spewy when I want to give you this one. All right. And in arguably his strangest position, and we could make that argument, Fisher wrote that killer whale Tilikum, who killed a trainer at SeaWorld Orlando in February, Mm -hmm. was just part of the ongoing failure of the West to take counsel on practical matters from the scripture. Now, I could just leave it at there yeah, but, and leave all of you scratching yeah, your dome. Yeah, right? yeah. Which chapter of Matthew? Fisher Matthew? quoted Exodus to prove Exodus. his point. Oh, to use the example from Exodus, if your ox kills a second time, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death, Fisher continued. If the consul of the Judeo-Christian tradition had been followed, Tillicum would have been put out of everybody's misery back in 1991 and would not have had the opportunity to claim two more human lives. I don't know what he's talking I about. I need one of those AAA roadmaps for this one, the kind that, you The know, Bible, uh, AAA Bible roadmaps. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. get one of those. Uh, the tra- yeah, what, the trail to everywhere. From the Wall Street Journal, researchers at the University of Georgia said that more than three quarters of the oil spilled in the Gulf of Mexico following the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig explosion could still be in the Gulf threatening fisheries and marine life, disputing government statements that much of the oil had been safely dispersed. So the government is still blowing smoke up our butts. And by the way, every time they talk about the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig explosion, why don't they talk about the 11 people who died there and where is the memorial to those people? Do you have to lose thousands of them in New York City? The Federal National Incident Command, uh uh-oh, that's suspicious to begin with. It's an incident command, which has been coordinating cleanup efforts, reported earlier this month that the damaged well had spewed about 4.9 million barrels of oil into the Gulf before it was capped. Half of that oil has been safely burned off, skimmed, or directly recovered, and another 25% has evaporated or dissolved, the federal researcher said. So to take their word for it, 75% of that bad murky stuff am gone. Both the UGA assessment and the federal calculations, it contradicts our estimates based on incomplete information. Federal researchers cautioned that their results would be refined as better information became available. Yeah. The UGA team, which has been at the forefront of investigating the underwater oil plumes created by the leaking well, took a closer look at the government's calculations and came to a more pessimistic conclusion. Pessimistic is light. As much, of, as much as 79% of the oil and its toxic byproducts still remained in the subsurface waters of the Gulf. Then, of course, there's all that dispersant that BP sprayed in the water without checking it out. It's the great Nike thought. Just do it! Moreover, it might easily be years before these petrochemicals disappear. One major misconception is that oil that has dissolved into water is gone and therefore harmless, said UGA Marine Specialist Charles Hopkinson, the senior investigator in the effort. The oil is still out there and it will likely take years to completely degrade. While it's being ingested by everything, except me, I ain't eating no shellfish from the Gulf. I'll go dig my own clams here on Whidbey Island. There's no oil out there. A little pee from the pleasure boats, but no oil. In a statement, Dr. Hopkinson said most of the oil classified by the government as dispersed, dissolved, or residual was actually still in the water. Oh, surprise! 
Using a range of likely evaporation and degradation estimates, the group calculated that 70 to 79% of oil spilled into the Gulf still remains. It's a good friend. It doesn't want to leave. It likes the weather. The group said it was impossible for all the dissolved oil to have evaporated because only oil at the surface of the ocean can evaporate into the atmosphere and large plumes of oil are trapped in deep water. More bad news from a government that doesn't care what we learn just as long as everything gets happy-pappy.
Furiosos, revelados del Congo Ritire de la maldad, brujo poderoso, chengo macho Buenos sueños, convertidos en realidad Buenos sueños, convertidos en realidad This is Ali Sufan writing in Forbes. Sufan was an FBI supervisory special agent from 1997 to 2005, so he speaks from direct experience. The furor over the proposed Islamic Cultural Center and mosque near Ground Zero makes me think back to one of the most important lessons I learned from all the Al-Qaeda terrorists I interrogated, that they have a warped view of America to them, And this they get from Osama bin Laden's rhetoric. The U.S. is a country at war with Islam and Muslims. And so they had a duty to fight us. While I was serving on the front lines, I found this distorted view of America was common among ordinary Muslims too. And it was only by correcting this image did we encourage locals to help our investigations and turn against Al-Qaeda. Our efforts were helped by public statements, like from President Bush in the early days of 9-11, declaring that America was at war with Al-Qaeda and not with Islam. I was in Sana'a, Yemen on uh, that day, and I remember our military and law enforcement group feeling encouraged that our leadership understood how to frame our battle. But while we started off on the right note in dealing with the Muslim world, our leadership soon demonstrated that they failed to understand that our war against Al-Qaeda was not just a military fight, but an asymmetrical battle for the proverbial hearts and minds of Muslims across the world, too. Ah, they pop up again, dem hearts and minds. I thought we left them smoldering in Vietnam. We should have been highlighting that Al-Qaeda had killed thousands of Muslims and blown up dozens of mosques around the world, but instead, we failed to appreciate the importance of rebutting Al-Qaeda's propaganda and of turning ordinary Muslims against the terror network. When we eventually did this, we had great successes. As commander in Iraq, General Petraeus reached out to local Sunni groups and convinced them that Al-Qaeda was their enemy and America their friend that led to a remarkable turnaround in our fortunes in Iraq. Our fortunes, perhaps, and in the short run, probably their fortunes, but we're going to be leaving there, of course, leaving behind 50,000 people from the State Department and various other mercenaries. So I don't know really what good it all did, but it was good for the time, and the point is well taken. There are many reasons for supporting the Muslim community's right to build a cultural center and mosque on private property, not least of which is the First Amendment of the Constitution guaranteeing freedom of religion. But from a national security perspective, our leaders need to understand that no one is likely to be happier with the opposition to building a mosque than Osama bin Laden. His next video script has just written itself. The potential damage to our national security is not only to our work abroad, but at home also. Today in America, we are facing an increased threat of homegrown terrorism. While bin Laden couldn't find a single American Muslim to be part of the 9-11 plot, today, thanks to a mixture of poor and even harmful leadership within the American Muslim community and failed strategies from our government dealing with the threat, some young Muslims are finding themselves increasingly isolated and marginalized and are easily becoming prey to these radicals. And what we're doing right now and what we're saying, burning Korans, accusing the Muslim religion of being a religion of hate and war, is only making it easier for Osama and his cohorts. When demagogues 
appear to be equating Islam with terrorism, it's making young Muslims unsure about their place in the country. It bolsters the message that radicalizers are selling, that the war is against Islam and Muslims are not welcome in America. And that's what I'm hearing today, time after time. Basically, go back to the countries that share your values. As a Muslim American, I know that isn't true. Whatever some rabble-raising politicians say about one mosque doesn't trump what America really stands for. The values enshrined by our Constitution that guarantee equality and freedom for all, whatever your race, religion, or creed. Young American Muslims need to focus on comments by leaders like Mayor Bloomberg, whose stand on the issue exemplifies the very best in American leadership. Educating people and standing up for the values of our Constitution rather than playing on fear and ignorance. And these people are not being taken to task, by the way. These bozos and bozoettes that are up there playing on this fear and ignorance, Mama Grizzly and the rest of her Grizzly crew, are not being taken to task. They're being treated as entertainers. To those politicians now saying a mosque can't be built near Ground Zero, I would like them to take a walk through Arlington Cemetery and learn the names and stories of American Muslims who have died in service to our country. They should also learn a little bit more about the victims of 9-11, such as Mohammed Salam Hamdani, a Muslim American who was a New York City police cadet and paramedic. When he saw smoke coming from the Twin Towers, he ran to assist, where he died helping victims. Another Muslim who died in the World Trade Center was Mohammed Chaudhuri, who was working at Windows on the World to support his pregnant wife and daughter. He never made it home that day, and his son, born 48 hours later, never knew his father. Al-Qaeda didn't differentiate between Muslims and other Americans when it hit the Twin Towers, and neither should we. From USA Today, U.S. astronomers every decade prioritize their goals and the gadgets, spacecraft, and telescopes needed to reach them. Astronomers have decided that they plan to discover alternate Earths and figure out the origins of the first stars, galaxies, and black holes. You know, in a perfect world, that would be our major problems. Those would be our major challenges, not getting us out of the rest of the world where we don't belong, not, not solving hunger and disease and abuse, but basically looking for alternate Earths. It is a consensus achieved through commitment involving hundreds of astronomers, says Ralph Cicerone, head of the National Academy of Sciences. Some research topics emerge as winners, exploded stars, called supernovas and alien planets, while others are pushed to the next decade. In the last decade, astronomers have found more than 400 planets orbiting nearby stars, learned that supermassive black holes lurk at the center of most galaxies, and determined the age of the universe, about 13.7 billion years. Now, I think the universe is happy with Obama's medical reform. When you're that old, you need all the help you can get. The report sets as a primary goal, learning how the first stars formed, finding the closest habitable Earth-like planets beyond the solar system, and probing dark energy, the mysterious force accelerating expansion of galaxies apart from one another throughout the cosmos. 
And I learned recently, and it's a mind blower, that most of the mass in the universe is dark mass that we can't see and hardly feel, only kind of get the secondary effects. It's like discovering a planet by studying the perturbations of the orbit of a nearby planet. Okay, here are some of the top priorities coming up for the astronomers, if there's any money left to buy any of this stuff. The Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope, a $1.6 billion space telescope to be launched in 2020 that will eyeball exploding stars and gravity-distorted views of galaxies for clues to dark energy as well as detecting habitable worlds orbiting stars in the center of our Milky Way galaxy. The spacecraft would fly a 10-foot-wide telescope mirroring an orbital path balanced between the gravitational pull of the Earth and the Sun. I love it. To me, this is romance. The Large Synoptic Survey Telescope. It's only, it's a deal. Hey, for you, 465 million. Telescope will be in Chile uh, by 2018 and would investigate the report's priority areas, as well as near-Earth asteroids and dwarf planets beyond Neptune in our own solar system. The telescope would see the entire night sky once every three days. Talk about taking a look. And new worlds, thereafter new worlds. A $4 million per year study to design telescopes that will be able to directly see habitable planets detected by missions such as the one just discussed and the now-flying Kepler Space Telescope. We're putting the universe at your fingertips, said astronomer Kirk Bourne of George Mason University, noting the uh, telescope's observations create enough data to nightly fill a million DVDs. Every night they fill a million DVDs. Hey, some of my hacker friends out there, hey, you know, eat your heart out, man. And uh, all of this stuff will be made available to the public through sky-watching applications hosted by Google and Microsoft. Yeah, just go up to Google and, uh, you know, punch up the latest or the closest habitable universe when mom is giving you real trouble. Alright, I really had to do this because, like, I just found something that I love so much. Um, it's big, it's brown, and it's really, really good. And, no, it's not chocolate, although it is at the same time. Um, yeah, I have a muffin. Politico tells us that the harsh Republican response to President Barack Obama's defense of a mosque near Ground Zero marks a dramatic shift in the party's posture towards Islam. From a once active courtship of Muslim voters to a very public tolerance after September 11th to an openly aired sense of mistrust. Well, that's because the Republican Party has changed also since then. Bad as they were under Bush, they've gotten a lot worse. Republican leaders have largely abandoned former President George W. Bush's post-September 11th rhetorical embrace of American Muslims and his insistence, always controversial inside the party, that Islam is a religion of peace. It is. There's some weirdo jihadists around the world, but you can no longer, it's no, it, it doesn't make any more sense to call Muslim um, a religion of war and hatred than to say that because there are, uh, you know, terrorists in, in Israel, that Judaism is a, is a religion of, of violence and take a look at the Crusades or whatever the Catholic Church has done from here and there, condemn them similarly, and you can go on and on and on. It just doesn't compute. This weekend, former Bush aides were among the very few Republicans siding with Obama, as many of the party's leaders have moved towards more vocal denunciation of Islam's role in violence abroad and suspicion of its place at home. 
Obama's remarks provide a clear national focus for the simmering question of Islam in American life, and Republicans are capitalizing on it. Not thinking about the greater good, not thinking about pouring oil on troubled waters. I mean, they like oil on troubled waters, you know, and they want to keep drilling for it, but not in this case. The spectrum ranges from silence on the issue to politicians and groups like Keep America Safe. Watch out for any group called Keep America Safe, American Values, anything with the word family in it is suspect right now. And that's led by Liz Cheney and Weekly Standard editor Bill Crystal, one of our great neocons that helped us get into Iraq illegally, gearing up to engage the battle over the mosque and the basket of other issues involving the Obama administration's relationship with Muslims at home and abroad. I'm going to quote one of the Ghanifs connected with Keep America Safe. It should be called Keep Me Away from People Involved with Keep America Safe. The president supports a mosque at Ground Zero led by a man who blamed America for 9-11. His top intelligence official preaches the true meaning of jihad. And his attorney general can't even say the words radical Islam, said Michael Goldfarb, an advisor to Keep America Safe. You start to worry they don't understand who the enemy is. Oh, I know who the enemy is, Michael. And so Republicans might understandably feel that they have to uh, spell it out for them. I thought the only word they could spell is no. Republicans have shifted completely away from the Bush administration line on relations with Islam, and they've obviously made the political calculation that bashing Islam and Muslims is a winning issue for them, said Ibrahim Hooper, spokesman for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, who blamed the Tea Party movement for liberating the inner bigot in people. And it's quite true. They have no policy. They have no really critical political thinking. All they have is an innate bigotry that they're now able to pull forth and become respectable for doing so because they found another enemy. They found another not me. They've got the Muslims, they've got the immigrants, and they've got Obama. He's a not me not because he's black. That's way, way, way pushed way back there. It's because he's bright, he's compassionate, he takes responsibility. So you have to call him Mao or Che or whatever to somehow get out all that vitriol inside. But the attacks on what is now nationally known as the Ground Zero Mosque, it's a few blocks north of the site, also stand in for a broader turn in the cultural politics of the right, in which some of the social issues that served as the emotional core of candidates' appeals have lost their power. Now get this. A recent CNN poll showing that 68% of Americans opposed the construction of the mosque also found that about half think there is a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. No political genius is required to decide which issue to run on. Yeah, they know which side their bread is buttered on, and I hope they slip on it and fall on their randy asses. Uh, Ted Nugent is back. Oh, uh, my and we have two codicils connected with this story. One is we will play directly after this Ted Nugent's pig rap on Obama, <laughs> so you can't forget him. Cringe from the fringe. Cringe remember? from the fringe, I and sure And also, our, uh, the head of uh, the Oz Design Group, Phil Fountain, who's been doing also all those marvelous bumper stickers, etc., did a cartoon on this, and it's also available on the website. I'm not exactly sure what the link is, but you'll, you'll go up there and find it because you're all pretty smart. Okay, Ted Nugent says he should have been better informed about California game laws after pleading no contest to misdemeanor charges of deer baiting. Nugent, who lives in Waco, Texas, 
That's right. I know. Said on his website that he takes full responsibility for the hunting incident televised on a February episode of his outdoor channel hunting show. Ooh. So he's got his own hunting show, and this, this misdemeanor took place. Yeah, public. it's free speech. You can have your own hunting show if you want it. Right, and, ba- and Bass Hole Buddies, one of my there favorite fishing yeah. shows. Yeah. California game wardens watching the show saw Nugent kill an immature buck during the hunt in Northern California. Investigators found that the deer had been eating bait before being killed. Nugent is so stupid. Oh, man. This man is such an effing idiot that he... And he's so vain that he films himself, you know, breaking the law and shows it on the hunting channel. Baiting wildlife is illegal in California. Nugent pleaded no contest last week to baiting the deer and not having a properly signed hunting tag. A Yuba Superior Court judge ordered Nugent to pay a $1,750 fine. Well, that seems only to be a reasonable thing. And, And he did, right? The man. Let's just. But, l- yes. No, what? I was just going to say, what's Ted going to go back and do now that he's done this? I mean, they, they you can bait deer or, or or aliens or anything you want to bait in Texas, right? Yeah, absolutely. No back in Texas, there. you can bait and you can bait liberals. You can do everything. Oh, by the way, it says here. Yes. That uh, I swear, says Phil Fountain in, in, in the cartoon, uh-huh. the name of Nugent's 2010 tour is Trample the Week, Hurdle the Dead. Trample, Trample the, the weak, weak, hurdle the dead. It does make you wonder if rock and roll can drive you crazy. In between killing pigs, I write stuff. And that's why you have me on here today, Neil, because you've had some very astute politicians on. But I am Ted Nugent, governor of Pigland. So I'm the expert on the health care bill because I kill pigs. And I just shot a monster big pig here in Texas. And seeing as how this is a pig bill created by pig bureaucrats to help out American pigs, as I approached this huge pig that looked like a beach sperm whale, I was expecting George Costanza to come out of the bushes and extract a Titleist number three ball from his blowhole. But as I was about to put a 10 millimeter slug in this pig's head, the last thing he said was, which is pig for where's my health care? They're pigs, Neil. We got to kill the pig. And in November, we got to vote the pigs out of office because this is a redistribution of wealth. This is the communist Mao Che agenda of the communist Mao Che fans in the White House. They're pigs, Neil. This piece was sent to me uh, in an email by one of the Oz founders, uh, Chaz Glass, and I think it's well worthy of being read in its entirety. One lesson, Chaz says, growing up in the military is the necessity of military training to include subspeciation, which is designed to indoctrinate soldiers with the idea that the enemy are not fully human, but are a step below human. This is necessary to break down our inherent conscience that killing people is bad to make it easier for soldiers to kill the enemy. This has been going on for thousands of years. Everyone has done it. The Egyptian pharaoh could not have enslaved the Jews without it, nor could Americans have enslaved Africans without it, nor could the Jews have captured the promised land in biblical times through genocide without subspeciation of the women and children they killed. No nation or people with an army in combat has escaped the necessity and horror of subspeciation. 
Remote warfare, cruise missiles, drones, helicopter gunships with ordnance ranges measured in miles, was originally justified as a means of saving American lives, but it has also taken subspeciation to a new level due in part to the advent of point-and-shoot cyber violence, which desensitizes about killing generally, not just the enemy, but cops and innocent people. These games, these video games, right? It's okay on a video game to kill aliens. That means aliens from outer space. That'll probably be broadened soon. Post-apocalyptic monsters and Nazis, right? Well, we're putting new sprites and new avatars in our gun sites. These games make killing not merely easy, but fun. The more remote the target, the easier it is to subspeciate and kill. Uh, this is Chaz saying, I become a- acutely anxious when I hear and see signs of sub- subspeciation in our national political dialogue, and it comes from the extremes on both sides, left and right, both of them, which are not really engaging in dialogue as a two-way open-minded discussion. At this point, it may seem to be a rhetorical phenomena, but that's exactly how subspeciation is done in military training, with rhetoric, towel heads, rag heads, Islamofascists, gooks, nips, krauts, savages, on and on. And now in political discourse, we have re-thugs and repugs being shouted by the left, while the right calls centrists, commies, socialists, fascists, and Nazis. This is subspeciation at work on both sides of the political spectrum. If the rhetoric does not de-escalate, history suggests there will be violence. And indeed, there will. And we will be seen someday as a subspecies. Well, Dave, we've added a woman to the Oz team, Patty Monet, and she's going to be handling the Oz sports desk. Now, sports <laughs> desk? Now, I knew immediately when I was talking <laughs> with her, I said, not thinking of you specifically, by saying that a lot of people out there listening to Oz go, Oz and sports? But it's much worse than that, Oh, Dave. it's worse than that. Yeah, okay. really. It's, right. it's really not about any sport, certainly not about football. It's basically about baseball right now. Okay? Because Patty Monet is, is, mm-hmm. ran a whole site called Baseball Chic, or Chick. <laughs> She's been in baseball forever. But it's not just about baseball. No. It's about the San Diego Padres. Now, you might go, what? And that's a perfectly good, Excuse yes. Me, what? I'm sorry. Yes. Was, uh, America has fallen asleep to the San Diego Padres for years. Yes. But here's the interesting thing. Uh-huh. They were staying at the house, and she subscribes to Major League Baseball over the you know the, the computer. So I brought it up on the screen and started to look, you know g- gave it to her, and I started to look, and I realized, you know, I, I was a baseball fanatic when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd follow the Cleveland Indians over the radio and write down the score, you know, use a scorecard and all that, right? And go to the stadium, and my dad was, you know, in the newspaper, and I could sit in the press box sometimes, and sometimes even in the dugout. I mean, I was really, but then then it stopped. Then I found girls and disappeared from baseball. And and I followed it again. I knew there was a substitute. Yeah. And I followed it again yeah. in L.A. for all when Fernando Valenzuela was pitching for the Dodgers because he was remarkable. This almost 40-year-old Mexican throwing screwballs and, and just batting like a son of a gun. And I just fell in love with him. Uh, that he, he stopped pitching. I left baseball. Okay. So I'm watching these guys. And suddenly I am looking at an extraordinary experience, a baseball team. We use the word. No, no, no. This is a team. All of these people are absolutely aglow. They're all playing professional-level baseball like they were in college. Two of them are third-generation baseball. Their fathers and grandfathers played. There's an American Indian from Princeton on it. In fact, there's two Princeton players. One got hit in the face by a, a fastball and is, is recovering from, from reconstructive surgery. 
okay? Three or four of the people on the team left other teams for lower money to come and play because they wanted to play another position or they heard it was such fun. And you're looking at a team, which is what we need to reconstruct America. Forget about the batting averages and all this sort of stuff. Everybody else looks like this is hard. Looks kind of like a thug. Or in the sense, everybody else that comes to bat on the other team, in this case the Cubs, from which they took four games away, all look like they're thinking about their mistresses and their portfolios and their lawyers and, you know, and it's me at bat. Look, hey, it's me come to bat. Yep, that's baseball, all But right. not the not the Padres. They come to bat, and it's like the team is batting. There's a foul ball. Five guys run after it. Uh, you know, in, in the dugout, they're all like high fiving each other, and there's all sorts of stories. Anyway, I got completely captured, and and it reminded me of the time. I know this is a long wrap, but I, I got to no, get it out. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> um, Back in the mid-60s, back when I lived on the farm in L.A., somebody left uh, Sporting News, which I think is the name of the baseball newspaper. And I was leafing through it. It was spring training, and there was a picture of each team. And I came to this one team, and I started to cry. I got moist. I went, whoa, just as vibes came off. And it was the New York Mets, the nothing team, who went on to win the World Series. All right? You heard it here first. You're talking psychic here, Pete. Here. Here's Oz predictions. Mm Mm-hmm. As of November 1st, we will still be in Afghanistan, we'll still be in the big double dipper, and the Padres will have won the World Series. Well, I heard it here first. Yes, you and, did. And that's a, and if, if so, that's a good thing because I find, I find highly paid sports people just despicable, A, and B, I cannot understand why they don't fine them for not hitting the ball. Well, that's a very... It's like basic. Well, that's fascinating ignorance, Dave. The and guy, I just, if the guy, you're paying him $17 million a year, he can't hit the thing? You know Come something? Come on. The Padres... Fine have, him $1,000 every time. The Padres time. have the second lowest team salary, right, in uh, the majors. I love that. It's tiny. and Don't all, pay all, them. Yeah, well, they're, they're just they're all baseball coming, players. They're, it's not like they're working for free. Don't get me wrong. But the fact is they're generating a lot of capital. What's interesting to me is that they are a team, and I can use them as a team module. I can point and say, this is how it's done when we all get together and work together. Because it's hard to find anybody doing that. Yeah, it's community, Pete. And I'm and, glad you've discovered it because and, I didn't know there was any out there yeah, in that and, world. And San Diego, they live, most of them live in San Diego. Half of them come from San Diego. It's 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 very different, Dave. It's very different from the, the from when I was watching the Indians as a kid. They all lived in Cleveland. Yeah, Al sure. Rosen lived down the block. Another guy worked for a used car lot during the winter because there was no money in the ball. You know, things have changed, and I know it's way overpriced, and I get it all, but I'm using it for something else. I'm using it to show people how it can be done. And and to get a girl on the team. Oh, yes. Come on. Come Come on. We need a woman on the team. You know, I have to add something before we absolutely close out here. Just a little brief thing. Yesterday was Ray Bradbury's 90th birthday. Oh, the man that that that, uh, lady wants to hump badly? That young girl (laughs) just wants his bod? In any case, this entire week in L.A. is celebrating Ray Bradbury's 90th birthday. And so all you folks down there, find out about it. Go to his site. Try to say hello to him and and uh, watch those old movies and and there's some plays going on. It's a big L.A. celebration down there for. Go over and jump his bones. Do whatever is necessary. Yeah, well, it, it, I mean, don't do it violently because he's no. he's an elderly gentleman with a bad stroke. I mean, with, he, yes, but he's recovered, and I'm sure he's having the time of his life. Maybe he'll go down and see a Padres game. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's Oz for today, Dave. Dave Osmond, my co-host. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, here on RadioFreeOz.com. Come on up to the website. we got lots of pages and lots of fun now, and we need you up there. You can post. Oh, people are already telling us what they like and what they need. One guy came up and said, hey, why don't you put the date uh, you know, on the masthead, on the splash page? Well, we're doing it. See, you ask, we do, if it's reasonable. The Oz team makes it all possible. Um, Peter Bergman, as I say, host, co-host David Osmond. Uh, Bill McIntyre is our producer. Dave Maloney does our audio. Phil Fountain does the Oz Design Group, does all them funny stuff. You'll see that, that really great uh, Nugent cartoon up there today. Chaz Glass is our man of finance. John Cummings keeps the ones and zeros happening. Tom Gedwillow, well, he makes sure that the website's going and the man that's putting us into the social media and making things happening also up on the site, Scott Weil. See you all tomorrow. See you. Well, it's the web. I'll, I'll feel you.